you gotta have an action plan before you collect the voice of customer. If you don't, two things can happen. One, you can get caught up in that paralysis of just like looking at the data, looking at the data, looking at the data. And it's hard to get out of that sort of cul-de-sac, right? To get back on the highway. Uh, the, the second thing that can happen if you don't have an action plan is you can end up wasting your customer or your pre-customers time. Welcome everyone to another exciting conversation on the VWO podcast. If you're eager to connect with your audience on a deeper level and provide the right information at the right time, this episode is just the thing you need. Here, renowned product marketer Ali Good talks about how you can collect and implement the voice of your customers into your strategies. But wait, this episode isn't like your regular podcast. It's a unique webinar turned video podcast and it is delivered to you in the form of an exclusive masterclass. So don't forget to hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest episodes. With that being said, let's dive right in and learn how to capture the voice of customer. Let's start by making sure that when I say voice of customer and you say voice of customer, that, that we understand exactly what we mean by those words. If voice of customer has taught me anything, it is that we should not assume that um, what I say and what you say are the same, that we always need to validate that. So we'll start there. And then from there, we'll move into some how-tos, like how do we collect voice of customer? And then most importantly, um, in my opinion, how do, what do we do with that information? How do we make sure that if we're taking the time to gather it, um, that, we, that we have a, a plan to, to act upon it? We've got to care about, um, we, not, I'm sorry, we need to understand what customers care about and we must bring those insights to the rest of the organization. And so that doesn't just simply mean bringing those insights to our marketing arm. It also means taking those insights back to our, our friends in product. And of course, uh, everyone else, customer success, sales, everybody in the org can really benefit from understanding what customers care about. Another definition uh, that was offered up by you is this one. And I love, I love the, the parenthetical here. The wants, the needs, the feelings, the thoughts of a customer or pre-customer about products or services. This was a definition of what is voice of customer. And I love the fact that they included feelings and thoughts there uh, as well as wants and needs. Finally, here's a third definition that you offered up. Voice of customer is listening to and acting on what your customers think about your brand, about your product, about your experience. Voice of customer though doesn't just mean the customer self. We often use this as shorthand to refer to the, to the methods that we use to gather voice of customer. If I, if I say, oh, I'm doing voice of customer, it might mean I'm doing a survey, right? or I'm doing a focus group or an interview, or I'm looking at a heat map, or I'm doing some A-B experimentation, et cetera. Uh, and oftentimes I think in our circles, we use VOC or voice of customer to be a shorthand for that body of work that we're engaging in. More important than all of these though, um, I think are the actions that we take once we have all this data in hand. Like what do we do with this information that is really, when we see voice of customer come alive. Uh, so I've kind of divided this section up into what I think are like three basic 
avenues um, that we can point our our canoe, if you will. Uh, one is kind of what I think of as the 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 old the old school, the reliable, the the ways we've been doing it for a long time, right? Surveys, focus groups, interviews, where you're going to get that incredible qualitative uh, snapshot of your customer's voice. Uh, I love surveys uh, and focus groups and interviews. And, and in fact, try to bake into every every week having at least one or two conversations with customers or pre-customers. We've got to be kind to our customers and our pre-customers. And we need to make sure that we're providing them with a variety of question types so that they don't get survey fatigue uh, and we can't expect them to take the time and energy to really answer every question with an open-ended like fullness in that way. Uh, so use those only when you must and try to reserve only having one or maybe two open-ended questions per survey would be Laura's recommendation. Um, that first best practice there, know you're in. What we're talking about there is Make sure that you're going to get the number of responses that you need in order for this survey to have the impact that you need it to have across your org. If you're going to do a survey and you're going to get 10 responses and uh, your product team is like, that's not enough, right? 10 people and they're going to cast sort of doubt or shade on, on your work. You need to make sure that you're sending that survey out to enough customers or pre-customers that you're going to get an end count that's going to lend some credibility and reliability to your results. Uh, my experience has been that I usually get about a 25% return rate uh, on surveys. Um, and that's that may be better than, than, than industry standard. I'm actually not sure what industry standard is. If anybody knows what industry standard is, feel free to drop it in the, in the chat. Um, but I think you might want to be on mute, friend. Um, okay. For focus groups and interviews, best practices, here is a great hack that you can use when you're doing your focus groups and interviews. Have a survey that you've crafted that they never see, that they do not click anything on, but that you are coding the responses as you hear them. I'm going to say that again. It'd be like if we were in an interview right now over on my side screen, I would have a survey that I've crafted with my questions that I'm going to ask you. And I've already put in A, B, C, D, E, the kinds of answers I think you're going to give. That last little box would be an other. I would capture some of your actual words in that other box, regardless of which, which answer I sort of coded there. Um, but that would allow me to, as soon as we get off the phone or as soon as we get off that Zoom, to jump right into being able to share those responses with others. And I can move from that capturing the voice of customer to action immediately with this little hack. It works great. Uh, we At Renaissance, we used this for some win-loss analysis that we did. And it just, again, allowed us to move much more quickly than if we'd had to go back, re-listen to those interviews, focus groups, hear yourself speak, which if you're like me, you never want to do that. Um, it can be really painful to have to go back and do that. So if you can capture it along the way, you can move more quickly. 
And then for both surveys and focus groups and interviews, or for all three rather, um, I, I would say this. And these are good Laura Cody tips too. One, ask people not about what they want, but about behaviors that they've actually engaged in or behaviors that they plan to engage in. When you keep the focus on behavior, you can draw conclusions about people's desires um, and about those things that actually matter to them. And then ultimately, this one is so important because we want to always be kind to our, to our customers. Make sure that we're only asking questions that you're going to actually do something with. If it's a nice to know, then don't bother your customer with it just yet. Try to find out the answer in another way if, you, if you're really, truly curious, and I know you are. Um, but the best, the best way that we can be kind to our customers is to only take up the, their precious time uh, by gathering information they were actually going to act on. The second way uh, that we can easily attain voice of customer information is through what I think of as, is maybe it's not too new these days, but kind of the new school way, which is all of this quantitative data that we have coming at us from every direction. This is, you know, engagement uh, statistics, you know, click-through rates, open rates, click-through rates. If you're doing, you know, video as a key strategy, like how deep are they getting into the video? Where are they dropping off? Um, you can look at analytics of your from your website. Uh, you can look at analytics from in product. Like how are they behaving in product? That can tell you so much um, that will allow you to make wise and informed choices as a marketer. Go ahead and set up your success metrics. Like go ahead and know what you're going to be looking for even prior to say sending that email. Um, and if you're doing any sort of website traffic, uh, analysis, or even if you're looking at email traffic or email open rates over time, track those metrics month over month to discover trends that you otherwise might not see. Uh, and I think if you can do those two things, so a, you're trying to establish metrics prior to looking at least to what the metrics are so that you have a sense of like, oh, this is this is green, this is good, here's what I'm gonna do, or this is yellow, uh, I don't, here's what I'm gonna do, or this is red, here's what I'm gonna do. And you can kind of have a, a preconceived notion of that. That's what's gonna allow you to not get caught in that analysis paralysis. Establish expectations before going in to look. Don't read the last page of the book first before you have a hypothesis, uh, right? And ha have a plan. Uh, and again, tracking metrics month over month or, or some sort of over time, whatever that makes sense or whatever that means to you might be different depending on, on your sales cycle, et cetera. But that can allow you to see some trends that you otherwise wouldn't see. And it can really inform uh, future outreaches to customers. If you find that your customers kind of go sort of radio silent uh, during a particular window um, that can help you to make choices about what you're going to do in the future that are they're truly informed and will ultimately lead to greater success. When it comes time for web analytics and you're looking at those web analytics, I would say that there's a couple of um, 
there's a couple of things that we could do better as marketers. One is make sure before you look at the data that you all agree on like what is the purpose of the website and that you're evaluating it for that that same purpose. Um, if if you think that the website is really top of funnel and meant to sort of drive demand, but someone else is hoping that the website is going to be more, you know, lead gen and actually get people to, to agree to a demo, you're not coming at that, those analytics from the same place. So make sure that everybody's sort of lined up or at least clear on what they're looking for. When you're looking at those web analytics, be sure to look for surprises. Um, and I'll tell a quick story. Just look at time here. Yep, I'll tell a quick story. When I was at Renaissance, um, we were looking at some web analytics and we discovered that a, there was a page on our site that was getting almost all organic traffic. Most of the folks that were coming to our site were coming to our site because they were searching for us by brand name. And that's how they were arriving there. But this particular page was getting all of this organic traffic of folks who weren't looking for us, but were landing on us. This is a total demand gen opportunity that we didn't even know that we had until we saw that surprise. And guess what? We hadn't updated that page in like a really long time. It was a complete opportunity that we were unaware of. Uh, because we hadn't dug into those analytics and looked for those surprises. So look for surprises and then start measuring for those magic moments and try to optimize those magic moments. How do you, if you start, if you're seeing that happen, how can you escalate that and make it work even better? For product analytics, I think the same is true. Look for those magic moments in product. What is leading people to use the product with higher fidelity? What is, can you connect any of those product usage metrics to retention rates or churn rates? Um, here's another concrete example to sort of bring this one alive. Just recently at Quizzes, where I am now, we learned that um, teachers, were an ed tech platform, that teachers who assign homework on our platform were much more likely to, the, to be retained, like that customer was much more likely to be retained. Uh, and so we've been now developing a campaign, thanks to our friends in Lifecycle, shout out to Todd, um, to work on a campaign to, to sort of nudge customers in that general direction, right? Let, let's get people using the platform in that way if we know that that's gonna lead to retention. So look from those surprises, start to measure and optimize for those magic moments and make sure that if you can, you're connecting those magic moments to either, you know, win rates, um, uh, retention rates or churn rates and, and act accordingly. All right, we're cooking right along here. Next level. <laughs> I feel like this, for, for people who are kind of, you know, on the cutting edge, this has been a thing for a while. And clearly our friends at VWO have this on lockdown. Uh, but how many of us are actually doing truly experimental work? You can certainly use a tool like VWO to level up. This is exactly the kind of um, services that they provide is tools for handling A-B testing, heat mapping, et cetera. When it comes to heat maps, I mean, the cool thing about heat maps is for really visual people like me, you can just kind of see 
really quickly, like, what are the literal hotspots? Where are people spending their time? Where are they really, where are you really getting the clicks on your website? What is that pathway through, say, your website or your product? I think I often say this to other product marketers. It's like, we want the product that we build to be the product that we market. That's the product that's getting implemented with our customer success counterparts and ultimately is the way our product is being used. Heat maps can tell us if all of that is true. Is the product that we're building, the product that we're marketing, the product that we're implementing, and the product the way our customers are using it? If our customers aren't using it in that way, something's amiss, right? Like, do we need to work on implementation? Do we need to change our marketing? Like, how can we, maybe we need to change something in product, right? Like, how can we make sure that we're creating that really kind and accountable through line for our customers? That the, what they're using is what we're building, is what we're selling, is what we're implementing. Heat maps can help us to discover that kind of quite literally like at a glance. You can see those magic moments, those hot spots. If your customers are spending more time in places that you weren't expecting, look at those. What can you learn from them? How can you build upon that heat and, and really stoke that flame there? Um, know what actions you're going to take next when you go in to look at those heat maps too. Again, if, you, if you're looking, you're expecting a hot spot and you don't see it there, what are you going to do? What happens if you find a hot spot you weren't expecting? Have a plan for that before you get into potential analysis paralysis, right? Know what you're going to do with the information prior to opening it up and looking at it, and you'll be able to act more quickly. And that's how you can really assume an agile approach and make sure that voice of customer doesn't slow you down, but instead allows you to speed up and move more quickly. Only 20% of us are using voice of customer to help influence roadmap. Um, roadmap should largely be driven by the customer's needs and making sure that we're fully aligning ourselves and our products with our customers' needs and reflecting to them, you know, that the, that the product um, is in fact aligned with their, their most idealized versions of themselves. And for that reason, we ought to be using voice of customer more strongly and go to market. And so I would say in terms of like our opportunities that I feel like I've seen one is let's all level up and get really nuanced and refined and how we're, how we're gathering voice of customer. And then let's start using it for more than just messaging because it can be so incredibly powerful. Um, that's my kiddo, by the way. <laughs> I love that picture. Um, here, here is some, I just want to, we're closing down here on the end, right? How do we actually act on voice of customer? And I just have some like strong recommendations for us all to think about. This one is one I've kind of, this is a note that I've been playing throughout the, the presentation today, which is whether that time is in an interview, whether we're looking at their activity on our site, we need to know, right? We need to always have their best interests at heart and know what we're going to do with their information in a meaningful way to make their experience better. That's number one. Number two. Make sure that as we're thinking about those action plans and we're planning in advance of, of acquiring that voice of customer, that we've aligned that action plan so that it's not just a, a dotted line, but it's a direct line up to 
the outcomes of, you know, your revenue outcomes for the year, uh, the goals that you have to achieve those ultimate outcomes. Maybe it's like we're going to increase retention rate to you know, 87% or uh, we want to shorten the sales cycle um, by 10% or maybe it's that you want to improve uh, or ameliorate your brand perception. Uh, make sure that whatever your action plan is that you've dotted, you've direct lined it to your outcomes, your goals, and ultimately whatever KPIs or OKRs or whatever, you know, V2 moms, whatever system you're using to measure for those larger outcomes and goals, make sure your action plan aligns with those as well. That is so important because that's what's going to allow you to get buy-in. If you can direct connect the work that you're doing to those larger business outcomes, goals, and metrics, then when you go around and you start to socialize what you're going to do, and you should, you can socialize not only how you're going to gather voice with customer, but you can also socialize your action plan and you can couch it or frame it in terms of like, we're doing this to help the business in these ways. This is exactly how this lines up with our larger goals. And, and if you set it within that framework, people will understand it more quickly. They'll be less likely to drop a bomb on it or get in the way of it. Uh, and they'll be more likely to help you move more quickly in your action plan after the fact. Wrapping it up here, basically, we have a couple more of these. Communicate those early results. It can get people really excited. You can kind of create some teasers and people will get excited and they'll be hungry to hear the actual results. Make sure that you're keeping your own bias in check and you're not just looking for what you want to see. Having the action plan in advance will help you to do that, by the way, because it creates an opportunity for you to look for any number of results. And then finally, 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 make sure that you take the time to roadshow the insights that you learn. Set up meetings with people who need to hear it, who need to see it, to tell them what you've learned, and then to kick off whatever actions you're going to take as a result. And if you, you know, have a Slack channel on which you're regularly communicating, I would encourage you to do a quick little video even and drop it on there so that people can go back and reference it and make sure that you share the insights out in some sort of format on some sort of channel that they can self-serve that information later. You want people to be returning to these insights and finding recursive value in them and to be able to act from them so that the next time you do them, they'll be on board from the beginning. Thank you, Ollie, for these wonderful insights on capturing and actioning the voice of your customers. And thank you folks for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now it's your turn to take action, implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights and don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss a single episode of VWO Podcast. That's a wrap from our side. Until next time, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.